Welcome to this episode of the Rock Solid Love Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Evans. This is the place where we get to explore the difficulties and the gifts of being a spiritual being while having this human experience. Always learning, always growing, and always practicing. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you are choosing to spend your time with me today. Before we get started, feel free to hit that subscribe or follow button so that you catch every episode and we can go through this journey together. I know your time is valuable, so let's hop right in. Hey, welcome back to the Rock Solid Love podcast. I am really excited today to be able to talk to Richard, who is known as the Comeback Coach. And of course, I want to learn a ton from him because his story starts with addiction. So it's pretty closely linked to my own. And so I want to thank you for being here with me today, Richard. Thank you for having me on. And I think this is going to be fun. And hopefully there's one person out there that needs to hear what we're going to talk about today. And if we just save one life, it's all worth it. Absolutely. And I, whoo, that soul messages just brought tears to my eyes that there is absolutely somebody out there that needs to hear this conversation. So tell me where you're joining me from. I forgot. I am, I am living in New Jersey right now. Um, where I'm sitting, actually, I can look over to where the Twin Towers once stood. So that is where I'm at right now. Oh, and as a U.S. veteran, that would be super powerful for you. Well, that's um, one of the three things that changed my life was that, that, that Tuesday morning. But we'll talk about that later. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get there. <laughs> so part of your story, and we'll talk about the veteran part and all of those Hail Mary moments, but part of your story is addiction. Can you tell me, tell us a little bit about that? I think my whole story is addiction related because, you know, anybody that's listening to this, even if you don't think you're addicted to something, you are. Let me just put this out there that the average person picks up their cell phone 700 times a day. Yeah. So if you don't think you're addicted to something, guess what? You probably are. So like a lot of people, when they talk about addicts, we're all addicts in one way or another. So my addiction started, I grew up very poor. Um, my, mother, my mother was an addict and um, she's clean now, just hit 28 years. She got clean after me. Um, I had my first drink at 12, full blown alcoholic by 13, um, joined the military. Became, I'm just giving you quick down and dirty and then we could just go where yeah. you wanna go. Uh, joined the military, became a drug addict and alcoholic, um, got in a lot of trouble in the military. They threw me out for being an addict, came home, moved back in with mom. Uh, me and my father, father, my stepfather didn't get along because he was doing the right things and I was doing the wrong things. So they booted me out. Um, I went to go live in a crack house. So I'm probably the only person you're ever going to meet that actually got thrown out of a crack house. That's how bad I was. Um, 
mom let me back in the house if I, if I promised to go to school and I went to school to be a bartender, which was not smart when you're an alcoholic. He, but I finished at the top of the class. Um, I got my first job New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, 1988 to 89. Um, my first job I got, it was a friend of ours, was a police officer. He owned a bar. I went to go bartend for him New Year's Eve. Um, everything was going great. Um, all of a sudden, I wake up. It was him and his buddies coming to lock me up because I gave away like $2,000 worth of free drinks and I stole $5,000. I had $5,000 in my pocket. And this is the first time that I got lucky. Um, he, he gave me a choice. He said, Rich, you can either get me the money back in 24 hours or you can do five years in a state, in a state penitentiary. And with through family members and parents and my stepfather, who we didn't get along, he actually stepped up to the plate. Um, I got the money back. But the one thing they told me was I had to hit uh, 90 meetings in 90 days in AA. Um, I hit something like 300 in a row. And I haven't had a drink or a drug since that day. January 2nd, 1989. So that was the first part of my story. Second part of my story, um, I rejoined the military. Um, I was still, now there's a difference between being sober and being dry. And uh, being dry means, I mean, being sober means you, you're no longer an asshole. Um, being dry means you're not drinking, but you're still an asshole. Um, I, sorry if I curse. I tried not to. Uh, no, it, it's absolutely fine. And I, I snicker in the background because my maternal grandfather is also an alcoholic. And my grandma used to talk about dry drunk days. Yeah. So, that, so, <laughs> so I, I, I get that difference personally, too. <laughs> I was a dry drunk. Um, I got back in the military. I was about to be thrown out again for a second time for being a loser at the end of September of 2001. And I woke up one Tuesday morning, I'm living in South Carolina now, I'm in the South Carolina National Guard, and I see the towers get hit. And then I seen the Pentagon get hit. And knowing that where I live was not even, you know, 10 minutes away, and we all knew people that were in the buildings that day. And something happened to me, something, uh, I broke down. I actually broke down into the couch and something broke in me. And I cried and I prayed out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't think I have a military career anymore. I said, but if I do, I dedicate the rest of my life to helping people that can't help themselves. And I um, begged my company commander. I called him up, begged him to keep me. They, they heard all my BS before, because as an alcoholic or a drug addict, you can learn how to BS with the best of them. Oh, that's, yeah. why we, that's, how, that's why we make great salespeople. Um, but they seen something different in me. They kept me. And I ended up doing over 20 years in the military. Uh, that's second part of my story. Third part of my story is I was driving um, my first uh, annual training with the, with the military vehicle broke down now i never we have something called kevlar helmets which are big helmets that keeps you from 
getting brain injuries, getting shot, stuff like that. I never wore mine. Today, that day was, I wore it for some reason, I don't know why. Um, like I said, there's always something happening. There's always somebody looking out for me. Um, I was backing up the vehicle. Instead of the young private hitting the brakes, he hit the gas. He ran over my body and my head. Um, I lost a vision in my left eye. I had a traumatic brain injury. And uh, because of that, the military uh, threw me out. Well, they re medically retired me. And so once that happened is when I got into a really, really deep, dark depression. Never used, never drank, but I got into a deep, dark depression. And that's when the whole healing started to come about is when I started to go get help at that point. So those are my, you know, that's just a quick down and dirty. So we'll go wherever you want after that. Okay. So as tears are in my eyelids because, yeah, the amount of support that you've had throughout your journey that I, I always call it your spiritual support team, that invisible system that intervenes that we don't know why. And yeah, I, I think your story is amazing. Um, so wh where do I want to start? Where I, you want <laughs> I know. <laughs> so let's start like back when you were a young teenager and like you said that you had your first drink at 12. Was that a home environment? Was it a party? Like how did no, that- No, it was, um, it was actually, for some reason, New Year's Eve has been big in my life. I don't know why, but uh, it was New Year's Eve. Me and my cousins, my older cousins, our parents went out for, for New Year's Eve and we found a bottle of something and we drank it and, um, well, drank, my older cousin, she's always been, person that doesn't partake um me and my other cousin we were, we're we're known as carbo and hydrate we're like twins me and her so she had a drink and then i just had a drink and all of a sudden you know i got warm and fuzzy and i be i was like wow this is great i can i'm coming out of my shell i'm not you know i i can be somebody that i i'm, I'm not normally and that's when it all just uh, went from downhill because I figured, all right, once my cousins leave, I'm like, mom's got a whole, bo whole bunch of bo bottles here and I could just start, you know, drinking little bit by little bit. And that's what happened. And I just went from starting, you know, every day and then, you know, drinking before school. And then I found friends uh, that were drinkers like me. And then that's when the whole, the whole ball got rolling. Yeah. Well, and that, yeah, that release of inhibition, right? Release of that fear, I guess, opens a new, new kind of world. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, no, it was, it was I'm at a little bit of a loss because, yeah, you're amazing. And there's so, like, there's so many, so many questions that I have. So that the opportunity to avoid jail time that and 19 meetings in 90 days like a meeting every day for three, more than 300 days is a huge accomplishment and i guess i'd like people to know the value 
in going to a meeting every day versus but, one but I, one thing I got to say is, you know, um, that man was putting my life for a reason. And it was weird that I robbed a police officer. And Who gave he, you the choice? <laughs> and then he's the one that stepped up to the plate. And I wish I knew him now because I'm sure that I would give him so much credit. But when I was going to that, that first meeting I went to, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old, still drunk. And I'm sitting in a room with these 40, 50, 60 year old guys drinking stale coffee and eating, you know, stale cookies. And I'm thinking, you know, well, what am I doing here? And I didn't really get it probably until 20, 30 years into my sobriety, what I was actually doing there. But it was either, okay, I don't have a job, first of all, uh, I'm homeless and maybe the coffee and the uh, cookies are the only thing that's going to keep me alive. Plus I got to be here anyway. So I just, you know, after the 90 days, I was like, you know what? These old men aren't too bad. And then I did something like 300 meetings in a row or something like that. Cause then I started to understand, you know, I started to see people like me coming in and coming out of the rooms and then some of them actually dying while I was still in the rooms with them and they died the next day because they went out and thought, all right, I got another run in me. And I guess that's when I decided, you know what, let me just stay where I'm at. Um, I feel pretty safe. So that's what I did for that first 300 you know, meetings, whatever it was, it was something crazy. Yeah, lots. And I think that's like, that's a powerful thing to note too is like feeling super uncomfortable and like you don't belong the first time you're there and how that wanes throughout time. Yeah, you know, and I got a sponsor when I first started out the first 90 days and you know, it's different now when you go to programs, but I had an old cranky sponsor and he was like, you know what, just sit down, shut up, you don't know anything. You know, he always told me, you know, God gives you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you speak. So, so I didn't say anything for 90 days. I just sat there and, you know, just, just listened to it all and, and absorbed it all. So in, in that process, did you also learn that there were other people struggling with the same things as you? Like, was there a sense of connection that you started to build through that? Uh, there was, but, um, you know, like I said, you know, um, when I was, my mother was a nurse, she worked, you know, all crazy hours. And uh, my father left when I was three months old. And we moved like 10 different times before I hit high school. So I never built any kind of relationships because I always had to fear, you know, well, if I build a relationship with a person, they're going to leave me. So I kind of never had that building relationships or anything like that. So I would get to the meeting right when it started and I would get to the meeting right as it let out. And I didn't realize that, you know, now that I got, you know, over 30 years clean, that the real meetings happened before the meeting and after the meeting. That's when right. the real meetings. So I didn't get that until uh, much, much later to when I decided, you know, like you said, you know, all these people, we don't know each other, but we know that we're all addicts. We're alcoholics, so we all have something in common. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, that makes I don't sense. know if that answered your question, but I... Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I totally relate to not creating relationships because uh, I moved a lot as a kid as well. So I, I struggled with that aspect, too. <clears throat> um, when you were medically discharged after, like, another miracle that you were wearing a helmet and survived that, it's, I think that's the part that I really love about your story is, like, so many miracle moments. You know, you know, and I always say that, you know, there's always been someone or something that was, has stood in the gap for me. And my goal is, if I can, which sometimes is not always possible, but if I can be that one person that stands in the gap for someone else to know that they're not alone, then this whole thing that we're doing is totally worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I love that because, of course, my whole thing is you are never alone and always loved. Yeah, so, and, well, you know, and, you know, I, I got hurt and uh, couldn't see out of my left eye. And uh, in the military, you know, if you can't see, you can't shoot. And we don't need you if we can't shoot. So they medically discharged me. And then all of a sudden, you know, I built my whole second part of my career on being the best soldier that I could be. I build up my whole person, you know, my, my whole life was being Sergeant Kaufman. Then all of a sudden that day when they took my uniform and took my ID card, I didn't know who Richard was. Mm. And that's whole process of healing actually, you know, started with that day that I had to find out who Richard was. So, how did, how did you start that journey? Well, it started about six months to a year earlier because in order for them the military discharge you, they have to put you through all kinds of medical stuff and go see all kinds of doctors. So they send us down to a medical unit. And what you do is you go to a big building and you sit there all weekend. And um, there's like maybe 100 or 100 people that are doing the same thing. And you don't do anything. So what I started doing is I started reading a lot. Um, it was hard to do with one eye, but I started, you know, I just started to really read a lot. And I started hearing about this guy named Gary V. Gary V. I'm like, who the hell's Gary V? And I, then I started to um, getting, start getting into just listening to positive messages, you know, reading positive books, positive mental attitudes for people that who, who were struggling you know, with issues like myself and how they came back. And um, so they medically discharged me. And, you know, I got into a deep funk probably for, you know, the first year, I would say. Um, but my, my wife was my best friend and my... Uh... Now, I got to say, people that aren't watching this, um, when you have somebody at home that loves you, life is so much easier. And... I met my wife 30 years ago when I was the wild child alcoholic and drug addict. And we got back together when I was the sober and dry, non-alcoholic and drug addict. And she still loves me, but she's the one that started to say, all right, you need to get off your ass. You need to get help. You need to start going to meetings again. So she's the one that pushed me. So I started to you know, go to meetings again and I started to think, you know what? Like Gary V says, you know, maybe, and he said something 
and because I actually met him and we actually got to talk for a little bit. And he said, Rich, he said, you know what? He said, your legacy will always be more valuable than your currency. And I just took that to heart and I started to say, you know, what is my legacy in this life? And that's when the whole um, getting help for myself, getting psychiatric help, and then talking to other people that are struggling with the same things that I was. And that's how the book came out and all that, all that happened. So it all, it's only been about three years that I really started to uh, help other people. Right, really so start to years, voice and share, share your story in hopes of helping others. Yeah, so the first seven years it was getting help. I still go, I still go to, to the VA, I, I still have a, uh, a psychologist and a psychologist that I talk to. Because the first thing you have to do in order to get help is say, I need help. And so that's where it all started with saying, you know what, I'm clean and sober, but I still need help or else I'm going to go off through off the rails on the crazy train. And that's what happened. I decided, you know, my wife said, you need help. And that's, that's when I started to ask for help. So I guess the question that I most want to ask you is like, now that you've been through part of your healing process or a lot of your healing journey, um, when you look back on when you started drinking and the days that you were drinking, can you, I, I guess my viewpoint with my father is like, nobody sets out to grow up and be an addict. And so my working theory is that addiction happens when you're trying to run from your own trauma. And, is and that I, something that you would agree with or like oh i, I definitely agree oh no i definitely agree but i also um like i said because i talk to a lot of addicts and alcoholics what so i also realize that addiction is not all the time but maybe 75 percent of the time is generational mm, yeah absolutely so I, I can see that it, in my own family too. You know, so a lot of it is that question, is it nature or is it nurture? You know, what is it? And um, you can, I tell people, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday. He was going on a bender. He called me. I said, you know, you can either give your family generational curses or you can stop it today and give your family generational blessings it's up to you to stop the cycle. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I think that whole nature versus nurture, you and I could go off on for like, that would be a whole different episode because I think that would be a really fun conversation. To have. You know, but for me, you know, being an alcoholic, it was just something that I saw and then I started experiencing it and I can get out of my own health, my own head for a while. Because there was a time in my life when I wrote this in my book that I would actually, when I was from like ages like seven to 11, I would just sit in my closet with the door closed, crying, Daddy, why, why am I not good enough for you to come home to? And so I just, when I started drinking, I didn't have to think about that little boy in the closet anymore. And I think that was one of the big things, you know, when I started drinking, I, I'd never thought about that anymore. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't have to think about that little boy anymore. 
Sorry. No, please, please don't apologize. Um, tears are like rain for the soul is my, my saying. And I commend you for being able to share on such a vulnerable level. That I'm honored and grateful that you can do that here. So, you know, like when I started drinking, I didn't have to think about all that again. But then when I wrote my book about two years ago, I had to go back and take the scabs off of all the old wounds. And, you know, for the people that are listening to this, there's three things that you can do today to, you can actually do in the next 24 hours to turn your whole life around. One, go back and forgive anybody that's ever hurt you. Second, go back and ask forgiveness for people you hurt. And then third, forgive yourself. And those three, if you could do those three things, you guys don't have to live a life of addiction anymore. Because that, that was the biggest thing. When I wrote my book, I had to go back. Because a lot of times I was too drunk to remember anything. So I had to go back and talk to the people that were in the book and say, you know, did this really happen? And, you know, and, but I had to go back and when I wrote the book, it was very cathartic because now all the dirty stuff I ever did got put out in a book and out in Amazon. So it was kind of like there was no more hiding. I did that for a reason. Because um, then, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Eight Mile mm -hmm. with Eminem. Yeah. Well, I was interviewed on a podcast years ago because I was in the health and fitness industry for over 30 years. And I worked with players from the NBA, NFL, WWE. And I was being interviewed. And um, my friend, he wanted to always talk about what I'm doing now. I mean, you know, he wanted to talk about my past. And I wanted to talk about what I was doing now. And he's like, you know, there's enough people in the health industry. There's somebody that, but you need to tell your backstory. And then we did the interview. And he said, he messaged me back. I'm sorry if I'm going off on a tangent. But um <clears throat> But he said, I want you to watch the movie Eight Mile, and I want you to watch the last two minutes. And I said, why? And he says, just watch it and then call me back. We'll talk about it. And in the movie, Eminem starts coming out with all the bad stuff that he's ever done. And he was battle rapping some, some other guy, and the guy had nothing else to say. So when I called my friend back, I'm like, what did that mean? He's like, once you put your grimy stuff out there, there's nobody that can ever tell you anything bad about you again that you haven't already said. You know, somebody can say, well, you were an alcoholic. Yes, I was, but I have a beautiful wife and three beautiful children. You know, yeah. yes, you were a drug addict, you know, or alcoholic, but this is how my life has changed now. What can you tell about, what can you say to me that I haven't told about myself already? Well, and I think that, I think that's such a huge portion of the healing journey is for me i talk about moving moving through the trauma and to a place of appreciation because your greatest light can be found in your deepest darkness so all of that shit that you have been ashamed of or guilty of or fearful that somebody is going to find out about those now become your strengths yep. they become your qualifications i think there's a huge value in being client zero of your own work yeah and i totally agree and you know like somebody once asked me you know if you could be a superhero what would it be and i told him i said i'm already a superhero 
I'm already addict man. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, what do you mean that by that? It means I can see through bullshit. I can sit and, you know, I can listen to somebody and know if they're, they're calling bullshit or not. You yeah. know, it, because you cannot go into a jail, a prison, or a rehab and try to tell your story if they know it's not true. They'll call you out in a minute. Yeah. So, what, you know, if you're an addict or an alcoholic or a family member that is an addict or an alcoholic, you have a great bullshit detector. So that, you I, used to call I, me a human lie detector. You know, so I consider, you know, myself, you know, being an, an addict is a blessing. I don't see it as a curse. I think it's an actual blessing in my life. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, the great thing is, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this in an in interview. When I, when I moved to New Jersey and, you know, my wife had two children before me and um, I used to go to meetings, you know, every weekend and um, I would come home and I would buy donuts for the kids. And um, somebody asked me, well, why'd you do that? And I said, I, I brought them donuts and I would tell them I'm just coming home from an AA meeting. So now anytime they hear of the word AA meeting, it's not a negative connotation. It's a positive one. You know what I'm saying? That's huge. Yeah. So it's kind of like I just kind of, everything I do, I kind of f- try to flip the switch to positiveness instead of the negative. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that that's a huge thing. And especially when we talk about, like, even though they were kids from another relationship, but we talked about addiction being generational. Yeah. And I think in turn, trauma is also intergenerational right so to be able to pivot that so that if this is a place that you end up or that you have to access it's not a bad thing yeah it's another tool and another resource to help you in your journey and you know i think that was one of the reasons that i wrote my book is you know so my kids can actually you know when i'm dead and gone you know they can read about you know what dad was really like and you know how far he's come and you know it was just a way to um you know like when when i ever get great and old and you know grandparent you know they can say oh yeah let's go grandpa's got a book let's go read what he's all about and that was (laughs) one of the reasons why i wrote that book is just so it'll it'll be out there so my kids will know who the real me is you know because sometimes unfortunately with social media there's the real you oh, yeah. and then the person that you see on camera yeah where the same person i'm the same goofball you're going to see everywhere and i'm yeah. not trying to be something you know what i mean and I, I think that i think that's important but you're absolutely right that that tends to be the tendency in social media is to show people what you want them to see instead of what is necessarily real you know yeah and you don't see a lot of vulnerability. But the people that are actually vulnerable are the people that actually can make differences in people's lives. I am a huge fan of, my, my whole thing is always learning, always growing, always practicing. So as much as I teach a whole lot and I guide a whole lot, I am also still learning and practicing and sometimes I fall on my face too, right? Yeah, and, you know, and that's what people can relate to, you know? Like I'll put out on my social media, you know, okay, I'm having a bad day, guys. 
you know, um, I'm not using, I'm not drinking, but I'm just having a bad day. So they know that, you know, anytime they see me, it's not just all happy, glorious, you know, always in a winning mode because nobody in life is winning all the time. And, no. you know, like Gary B says, you know, because of this whole COVID-19, a lot of people are being found out to not be who they say they are. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, life is not all butterflies and rainbows. Yeah. Right? You, so I'm, sorry if I, I'm sorry if I went off on a tangent, but it's, it's just things that, you know, I think some, some people might need to hear something. And so yeah. I just wanted to. No, and, and that's, that's the whole purpose. That's what makes it so much fun. Um, there are a couple of things that I actually do want to, I do want to ask you before we wrap up. Um, so when you were in that really deep place of depression, what did you do to cope with that? Like your wife played a huge part, obviously, but did you have any, and you weren't drinking and you weren't using, so did you have any coping mechanisms that like to keep you here? Um, well, you know, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't drink, you know, I couldn't use. Um, I resorted to food. You know, I gained like 50 pounds um, with the depression. Um, and then I, like I said, I just started reading a lot. And then I just started to, um, get into people's stories that have it worse than me. Like I started, you know, reading, you know, all these different people that have, you know, Helen Keller that were, you know, blind and deaf, you know, and people that I started, like I was talking to somebody last week and they're like, man, I can't believe you're blind. You're 80% blind right now. And you're still putting out five shows a week. And I was like, yeah, but there's a guy out there. I'm going to interview. He's got no arms and no legs. And he's water skis. So I'm like, you know, there's somebody out there that has it worse than you that's doing better than you. So I just started, you know, to get into trying to learn about how other people started, you know, how to coping with loss and trauma and how they came through the other side. Awesome. And I just wanted to highlight that for anybody who's in that dark place, right? Like we all have different ways that we cope through that time and whether they're they're healthy or not it's a way to stay in this lifetime when things are really really difficult yeah so and then you know, and sometimes like you said you know as, as we're talking i'm thinking you know you know there's people that would message me or send a text message at my deepest point and I, and I looked at the phone and I'd be like, God, that was you. You know, that has, there's no way that that could have happened, but that was you working. Like I had a guy, I was, I was in a deep, dark depression, maybe about a year ago. Cause I still get him. I, was, I still get a depression. Um, and he messaged me out of the blue. He's like, I was watching one of your videos and I had the nine millimeter in my mouth and I was about to pull the trigger. And I heard your, what you were talking about. And I put the gun down, I unloaded it, and I called for 911 and I went to go get help. And I was like, you know, wow, you know, God is working, whether we want to think about it or not. Yeah. You know, whatever you call them, I call them God, you can call them the universe. But 
there's a reason why every one of us is still um, here. And I tell everybody, if you're watching this, just do me a favor, one second, just put your hand on your chest. If you can feel your heartbeat, that means you have a purpose. There's a reason why you're still here. I love it. I think that is, that is huge. And of course, I, my whole jam is spiritual connection, connection to self and energetic connection. So I love how, like the role God has played in your life. Yeah, And, man, and for, me, for me, I call it divine. I call it spiritual support team. I'm the same as you. I'm not picky on language. But in, in the time that you were drinking, was there a difference or a disconnection in your connection with God? Um, yes. And for some reason, God has always been in my life, um, whether I wanted to or not. Absolutely. But, it's just a matter of whether, we're, whether or not we recognize it. Yep. And, but what, cause what happened, I, my parents, and they were still addicts, I guess, uh, took me to, I guess, to go see Billy Graham or something like that in the 70s. And I always remembered that. But uh, I always felt a presence in my life. But, uh, you know, for the people that are, you know, watching, hopefully at least one person's watching, um, if you don't feel the presence of the higher power, whatever it is in your life, you are the one that moved. He didn't move. <laughs> You're the one that moved away and you I, can move. Right back. I, I always preach like you simply forgot, right? Like life happened and you forgot. So for me, it's all about remembering and reconnecting because it's all, like you said, it's always there whether we recognize it or not. Yep. And then just, you know, the last year or so I've been going, I went through some health issues and then I started really, you know, realizing, you know, this life that we're here, we're, we're, it's very temporary. Mm -hmm. And I started to think, you know, back, talking back again about legacy. And then I just started to really think, you know, because my dad is dying of pancreatic cancer right now. And um, he, I talked to him and I said, you know, what are you thinking? He's like, he said, son, I, you know, I only have one day at a time. And then I really started thinking about it. And I started thinking, you know, what would happen if we never thought about tomorrow? We never thought about yesterday, but we only just focus on the exact minute that we are in and actually being present in all aspects of our life just for that one minute at a time, how much life would change. So I started doing that. I just started, you know, thinking about pre being present in everything that I do, whether it's having dinner with the family, whether talking to you, talking to somebody else. I'm not thinking about anything else except the present, you know, because there's a reason why the word present and the word wrapped present is the same exact thing. Because this, this, the presence that we have, it is a present from God. Yeah. So, you know, try to be in the present. You know, they, and somebody told me yesterday, if you have one foot on yesterday and one foot on tomorrow, you're shitting all over today. Ooh, that's so a just, good one. So just try to be present in everything you do. And life gets a lot better because you're not thinking about what I could have done, what I should have done, what I will do. You're just thinking yeah. about right now. Well, and I, 
I think that that's the biggest thing, right? When you're in this present moment, there is no anxiety, there is no stress, there is no overwhelm because all of those things live in the future. Yeah. But when you can come back to, yeah, the only moment that you have control over. Yep, you can't change the past. And the only way you're gonna change the future is by changing your present. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I love it. And I, I can see another conversation happening between us in the future because I could go, I could talk to you forever. I think this is absolutely awesome. I also well, don't I hope your viewers are getting something out of it. <laughs> I also don't, don't really want it to be a four hour episode. So we might have to do to be continued. Okay. Um, a couple things before we end though, you've mentioned the book more than once. I would love you to tell us what it is so people can head over to Amazon if they want to learn more about your story. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. And when a lot of people think, you know, they hear the title, oh, it's a hero's journey. You must think he's a hero. But I explained it on the front page. And, you know, I, like I said, I've been very blessed. And I don't know, because you, you might be a little bit younger than I am. Um, a lot of people remember the Superman movies. And Christopher Reeve was played uh, Superman, the original Superman movies. And he passed away. And I asked his wife if I can use his opening quote for the book. And she allowed me. And um, what I meant by hero's journey is the real heroes are people that are like me and you or veterans or first responders that stand in the gap for others and that were people that ran into the buildings while everybody else was running out. And that's what the book is for. It tells my life story, but the last two chapters are on what addiction really looks like and what people that are suicidal, what it actually looks like compared to what people think it looks like. And all the money that, that, I, that, I, that the money makes goes to help veterans and first responders that are struggling with PTSD. So I make no money off of it. Yeah, that is beautiful. And I am so grateful that you chose to spend your time with me today and share your story with those people listening and with me. Because I oh, it's my it's truly my honor. Get to learn a lot. Um, one thing that I love to ask people always is what is the one thing that you wish people knew? Okay. Um, like I said, there's something that's been really in, um, in my, my mind the last couple of weeks is that whether you fail or whether you win, it's all an inside job. You know, when the person says alcoholism, that three letters at the end is called I, self, and me. <laughs> so everything, if you fail, if you win, it's all an inside job. So you have to act, before you can change your family, before you can change anything, you have to start working on you and your insides to get, in order to change your outside circumstances. It's all an inside job. I love it. And you are doing that and helping people with that inside job every day. So I wanna 
thank you for that and for embracing the power of your journey and surviving those dark times to and just you know if somebody ever wants to get in touch with me um something else gary v told me to do he said make yourself a hashtag and which i did so if anybody wants to find anything that i'm doing it's one simple hashtag the comeback coach and it'll come up on everything that i do and it's free so nice all kinds of resources and a super powerful story thank you for sharing with me today richard oh it was fun and i apologize if i go off on a tangent i just get so excited that life is life is good and people are are going to start to heal just by watching what we're talking about well and that that's where i feel like we we could go on forever together because we both get really excited about it and yeah. and that's i hope that's also what makes it engaging for people to listen to is that we do get super passionate and that yeah can yep. carry on forever so thank you everybody for listening look forward to part two with Mitch, mr richard kaufman the comeback coach and in case you missed it the one thing that he wants you to know is life is an inside job and for me of course it is that you are always loved and never alone Thank you again for choosing to spend your time with me today. Rock Solid Love is more than a podcast. It's more than my business. It is my message and my mission to help you discover that it is always there within you and around you every moment of every day. If you've heard something here that struck a chord, please share to help spread the message. Send me a voice memo. Let's connect and see where we can take it. Dive a little deeper. There's something that I know for sure. You are more amazing than you think you are. You are never alone and you are always loved. Until next time, I see you, I feel you, and I love you. Welcome to the secrets after the silence. I have to tell you, there is something amazing that happened inside of me when Richard shared being a little boy curled up in the closet crying. It was such a tender, vulnerable moment that I am absolutely honored that he was able to share with me. And it also allowed me to see my father again as what he may have been like as a little boy, because his upbringing was also tumultuous and abusive. And to imagine him possibly crying in a corner for the very same reasons touched something deep in my heart and allows me to have another level of compassion for him and to remember 
that no matter what our role is in this world, whether we are a parent or a sibling or a child, at the end of the day, we are all trying to do our best to get through this human experience. And we have all been hurt in some way or another. It is a matter of how we choose to deal with it, whether we need to run and hide from it, whether we're ready to heal it. We are all simply doing the best that we can. Until next time, I see you, I feel you, and I love you.